First Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the Word of God says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Together, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. And let's pray once more. Lord, thank you for the time that we've set aside Open our eyes and our hearts that we can truly understand the scripture and give us godly discernment to tell what is sound, healthy doctrine and false, hurtful doctrine so that we can strengthen more people through our wonderful church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. I ask you this question tonight and it's a, just think about it to yourself. How good are you at recognizing false doctrine? It's important for the committed believer to recognize what is sound doctrine, what's healthy doctrine, and what is uh, false doctrine. And the most important thing to do is just get so familiar with sound doctrine that you recognize the false doctrine as it comes up. They used to have the old tellers, the old bank tellers, when handling so much cash. <clears throat> They wouldn't train them on counterfeit money. What they would do is just have them handle so much uh, real money that they could sense and discern the, the counterfeit money just by feel, by touch, by sound, by look. You ever go to the bank and they're like, and you're like, whoa, you know, how do I know I got my $5.32 or whatever you're getting out? But, man, they can just count so fast and rip through that stuff. They, they have a, a feel for it. And the saying goes that they would be so familiar with the true money that they could easily discern the false money. And I think that's what's important, that we should be so familiar with the truth that whenever we hear something that is unfamiliar or doesn't jive with what we know to be true, we immediately say, whoa. Hold on a second. And that's our focus most of the time. However, it is profitable to occasionally talk about the types of false doctrine that we may come across. And in my study, I have identified 20 types of false doctrine, that, or 20 examples of false doctrine that I want to give you tonight that you can... I kind of put in your spiritual file cabinet, and when that thing comes along, you're like, oh, I know what that is. Now, since I've got 20 of them, I can only give like a minute to each one, right? So we're not going to get... <laughs> somebody, somebody just like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> we got a three-hour sermon, and uh, uh, we're going to work hard to give a minute to each one with a little bit of, of uh, introduction. But that means that I can only just briefly explain each one and help you uh, put it in your heart and mind for further study. Before we get into that, I want to show you 
five quick passages of Scripture that kind of warn against false doctrine and give us 11 biblical categories of false doctrine. And then we'll just go in and I'll list some of these other false doctrines that uh, you would see from time to time. So we find here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the end of verse 3, we see the Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling Titus that one of his jobs was to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, And that's one of the jobs of the preacher. We've said over and over again, one of the jobs of the preacher is to make sure that there's sound doctrine being preached uh, and that uh, the the doctrine going forth from the ministries, the pulpits, the classes uh, of everything is true, sound doctrine. And then he says in verse 4, "...neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith." So godly edifying is the goal. Edifying means building up. So building people up to be like God is the goal. But these these things keep people from being built up like God. And I just want to mention a few of these. For example, verse 4 says a fable. So what's a fable? A fable is a made-up story. Uh, And sometimes people will either make up stories to explain away gospel truth, or sometimes they will turn a gospel truth into an analogy. For example, they'll say, well, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God didn't mean six literal days. This was kind of a story to explain. No, no, it's not a story. It's history. Uh, And they will often try to to explain away biblical truth with a made-up story, or they will say, well, the Bible says this, but then they'll give some thought from their experience or maybe some hypothetical that kind of cast doubt on the Scripture, and we can't fall for that. The Bible also says in verse 4, endless genealogies. This speaks of never-ending discussion of ancestors or family succession. Uh, Remember, the Old Testament Jews were very keen on genealogies, and, and part for good reason, because God instituted the genealogies. They were very careful to follow their genealogies, and uh, everybody had to be uh, put into a genealogy and connected back to their forebears. But in the New Covenant, the New Testament, since Christ came, all that was meaningless. Uh, Your ancestors, your bloodline, your family succession, all that's meaningless in Christ because Christ is available for all and God's truth applies to all. We see, uh, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. So we talked about fables, we talked about endless genealogies. And then let's look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 6. If any man teach otherwise, other than sound doctrine, and consent not to wholesome or sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to to the doctrine which is according to godliness... The Bible says a little bit about him. He is proud, knowing nothing. Uh, So, wow, if somebody says, well, the Bible's not true, God says two things about him. Number one, he's proud, and number two, he doesn't know anything. Uh, If somebody tries to explain away the Scriptures or cast doubt on the Scriptures or, or give false doctrine, he's proud, thinking he knows better, and he clearly... Uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. But notice what it says, but doting about questions. 
So the first, the, the third category of false doctrine we find in Scripture are doting questions. This speaks of harping upon questions rather than surrendering to the answers that God gives. Doting means to hanker or to long for with a keen appetite and uneasiness. It means to harp upon. So imagine somebody, they have a question and you give them a Bible answer. And rather than believing the black and white in Scripture, they just have another question about the same thing. Another question about the same thing. And it's like, well, I just showed you right here, the Bible says this. And let's look at another passage, the Bible says this. Sometimes people don't want to accept God's answer, so they keep asking questions about the same subject because they're not finding the answer that they want. And it's our job to submit to the Word of God, not try to make the Word of God rubber stamp what we believe or what we want to do. Notice it says next, and strifes of words in verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. But doting about questions and strifes of words. And so... This strifes of words, the phrase literally means disputations about trifles. They want to argue about things that don't matter. Maybe they don't believe the right gospel, but they want to argue about the Antichrist. And it's like, the Antichrist doesn't matter if you're lost. Uh, And so it's arguing about things that don't matter. We see this a lot today where people will argue over definitions of words and they actually believe the same thing, but they'll argue over definitions of words when they uh, really believe mostly the same. Other times people will uh, bring up trifles to take the spotlight off of the, the fact that they are woefully wrong on other scriptures. We see in verse 20, look at First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. The Bible says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So here we have number five, profane and vain babblings. Profane means wicked or heathen. Vain babbling means empty or fruitless discussion. So sometimes people just want to have a a fruitless discussion, an empty discussion, or they want to to have an ungodly discussion about things. And I was talking to to someone uh, last year, and I mean, you can get into to craziness when you're talking to people about doctrine. And they're like, well, what, what about uh, so-and-so? And what about Judith who married so-and-so? And it's like, what are you talking about? And what, what about Lilith? And it's like the word Lilith is mentioned like one time in the Bible. But they give us its crazy significance who is supposedly married to so-and-so. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? talking to a man last year and he's like, well, I believe the apple in the garden was actually immorality and Eve uh, committed fornication with the snake. And it's like, what? Well, prove it's wrong. It's like, I don't have to. It's stupid. (laughs) You know, nobody in the history of the world's ever believed that. And it's like profane and vain babblings. It's like, prove it's right. Uh, so there's all these crazy questions and, and just empty, fruitless discussions of sometimes with people that don't want to deal with the most important thing, and that is the sound doctrine of the Word. We see false science. That phrase literally means untruly named knowledge. It's fake science. Uh, it's lies under the, uh, under the guise of science or knowledge. And, of course, we see that today. I was listening to something today, 
And this whole concept again, what is a woman? It's like, well, a woman's anyone that defines themselves as a woman. It's like, well, if that's true, if a, if a man can become a woman, then is there anything really called a woman other than just whatever, it's a label now. And that's what you see in women's sports, what you see in, in society in general. And uh, craziness. Well, what's a mother? Well, a mother is anybody who de- defines himself as a mother. No, a mother is a female that has children, a relationship with a, a child. And it's, it's like, uh, what's a boy? What's a girl? What's, what's marriage? By the way, you take this all the way back. The, the craziness that we see today is just the natural byproduct of all the foolish questions we've allowed people to get away with before. What's marriage? Well, marriage is between one man and one woman. But no, we decided, well, marriage can be anything you want. Uh, what, what, is, what is fornication? Well, there's no such thing as fornication. People just do whatever they want. We've been doing this. Humans have been playing this game for a long time. And as soon as you unanchor yourself from this word, there is no end to the foolishness and wickedness of mankind. Uh, and it's... If, if somebody doesn't put a stop to this, folks, I'm telling you, if, if God doesn't step in and bring revival, and if, if Americans don't stand up and say, hey, knock it off. Well, my feelings, knock it off. Then not only is America done, but America has held a place as a Christian lighthouse and kind of a moral, a moral compass for the world. And everything's in trouble. And so we've, we've got to get back to the truth. These profane and vain babblings, fake science. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 14. Titus chapter 1, verse 14 <laughs> Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. And so Jewish fables, what does this speak of? This speaks of the doctrines of of Judaism. Going back to the Old Testament. Remember there were a lot of Hebrews getting saved in the New Testament period. And some of them wanted to add uh, some of the Jewish rites to New Testament Christianity, for example, they'd say things like, well, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be circumcised. Well, that's not part of the gospel. If you want to be a Christian, you have to eat according to the Old Testament food laws. Well, that's not part of the gospel. Uh, You know, even Paul, at the end of his life, he took upon himself a Jewish vow that was an issue, and it ended up getting him in a lot of trouble. God used it to fulfill his plan But there was no reason for Paul to take upon himself the Jewish vow, a man who for decades had been preaching Christ. And if you read that last time he goes into the temple, he'd shaved his head. He had a vow upon him to appease the Jews and ended up getting him killed anyway in the plan of God, of course. And so uh, stop trying to please everybody and just try to please the Lord. And it's, it's better to go down pleasing the Lord than to be uh, eaten alive by people that you made all these compromises to try to please and they're not happy anyway. Just decide where God is, choose to stand there, and live with the consequences. 
That's what we should all do. And so, uh, turn aside to Jewish fables and commandments of men. This speaks of commandments or traditions that turn people away from the truth. Uh, They're not taught in the Bible and they're turning people away from the truth. Some people make it hard to get saved. We've talked about this many times that sometimes it's the saved people that are making it hard to get saved. Uh, And they're adding all these man-made requirements to to salvation, and it ought not so to be. And then we see in Titus chapter 3, 9, our last verse that we'll look at, Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, this is a, a false teacher, someone who adheres to false doctrine, after the first and second admonition, reject. And so if someone holds false doctrine and you try to talk to them and they try to talk to them and they've had several appeals, uh, then the the church has to reject them. And that's a sad thing, but we the church has to stay pure. It's of utmost importance that that the church doctrine has to stay pure uh, at all costs. And so we see foolish questions. That phrase literally means stupid disputes. Uh, Sometimes the things just are foolish, as we talked about. Genealogy speaks of tracing generations, puts an emphasis on bloodlines and family lineage. And then 11, number 11 of these categories here, contentions and strivings about the law. This speaks of twisting. Uh, and disputes about Old Testament rites and ceremonies, the law speaking of the, the rites and ceremonies of the Old Testament. Thankfully, because of Christ, we don't have to do animal sacrifices. We don't have to jump through all the hoops of the Old Testament. Thanks be to God for that. Uh, I'm glad I can eat bacon, amen, and not have a guilty conscience about it. It's good stuff. All right, now I want to give you 20 false doctrines that are prevalent today. I'll give you a thought about each one and a, a verse to counteract it, but we're not going to look at all these things. We just don't have time in this setting. And so let me give you these 20 false doctrines. Number one, the, doc, the false doctrine of many ways to heaven. The false doctrine of many ways to heaven. This false doctrine teaches that there are many ways to heaven and that Jesus is only one of the ways to get there. Uh, this is something people don't like about Christ is he claims to be the exclusive way to heaven. And you can't have it both ways. It can't be, you know, like whenever you're witnessing to a Hindu who believes in 300,000 gods, you have to remind them that we're not talking about adding Jesus to make it God number 300,001. We're talking about that you take your faith out of those 300,000 gods, that's repentance, and you change your mind and say, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. When you're talking to a Roman Catholic, you have to remind them, we're not talking about adding Jesus to your uh, stations of the cross and mass and, 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 and uh, uh, baptism and all of these things. It's just Jesus. And that's an important thing. And that's one reason why religious people and non-religious people alike have such a hard time with Christianity. 
They don't mind you being religious, but when you say Jesus is the only way, now they have a problem because that excludes them. And we as God's people have to understand the Bible is super clear about this. You don't have to like it. It might seem like, well, well, how can that be? That's why it's incumbent upon us to take the gospel with us everywhere we go. And boy, when you look at it, boy, I could preach a whole message here, but I can't. I've only got a minute, and I've already gone over. And uh, you've got to understand that salvation itself is literally only possible by the skin of your teeth. God did everything he could do to make one way possible for you to come back to him. There's only one. And to think anything else, it just, it just puts, well, sin's no big deal, and God's not really that offended, and he's just going to make a lot of ways to get there. No, sin is so awful, and we are so lost. There is literally only one way home, and that's Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. The means the one and only. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so the false doctrine of many ways to heaven. Number two, the false doctrine of legalism. This false doctrine is the, any belief that adds works to salvation. Any belief that adds works to salvation. Now, sadly, today, many modern churches have redefined legalism to demean any church that teaches biblical standards to protect holiness. And it's just such a, such a wicked trend. It's just so wicked. Why, why would you want to try to convince people they don't have to live like Jesus? Why, why would you try to convince people that sin's okay? Why would you try to convince people that God doesn't care how you live after you get saved? That is just such a, a wicked thought. But they, we had here years ago, someone came to me and said, after a sermon, they'd been a member here for many years, and they said, well, I just... Uh, I felt like you were preaching legalism tonight. I said, where'd you hear that word? And the person kind of looked at me like, I said, who you been listening to? Where'd you hear that word? And they kind of looked at me like, <laughs> you know, like I caught them with a the hand in the cookie jar. I said, our kind of Christians don't talk like that. Who you been listening to? I said, legalism is adding works to salvation. It's not encouraging God's people to live a life apart from sin. That's called being like Jesus. And if you listen to the wrong people, boy, they'll drill that into you. God doesn't care what you wear. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care, he doesn't care uh, what you listen to. He doesn't care what you watch. It's all, and it's, it's, it's wicked. And so the true doctrine, false doctrine of legalism is adding works to salvation. Uh, and, of course, we know faith in Christ alone is God's plan of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, false doctrine number three, modalism. Modalism. This is the false doctrine that teaches the members of the Trinity are not three distinct persons, but rather three modes or forms of activity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, under which God manifests himself. They're saying that the three <coughs> are... Uh, one but not three, uh, the Bible teaches that God is one existing as three distinct persons. 
And 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Important verse, by the way, many of your new modern versions take that verse out. They just remove it. And they always say, well, it's not in the best manuscripts. Says who? Well, says me. <laughs> you know, I'll just trust the old King James and not your two semesters of Greek that you had uh, in, in some uh, seminary. All right, number four, the false doctrine of limited atonement. This false doctrine assumes that Jesus Christ did not die for everyone, but only for pre-selected individuals. And of course, this is easy to disprove with an abundance of scriptures. How about 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus who tasted death for every man. Uh, and so on. All right, number five, false doctrine of annihilation. This doctrine proposes that unsaved humans, Satan and fallen angels, will be totally destroyed, implying that they will not suffer eternal punishment. This is one of the many false doctrines that tries to remove the terrible idea of hell. Hell is an unpalatable idea. It's terrible to think about. But that doesn't mean you can just wish it away. And Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven uh, as a warning. And Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There is a real place called hell, and the unregenerate, those that are unsaved, and those uh, Satan and fallen angels will spend eternity there. All right, number six, the false doctrine of perilous salvation. Some Christian denominations teach that you can lose your salvation through varying degrees of sin. And of course, we've talked about that a lot this year, uh, that you cannot, you don't have to worry about, oops, I lost my salvation. Uh, the Bible's clear that we're not saved or kept by our own good works. 1 Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know, I'm going fast for you. I just want to get you this overflow of information so you can recognize these things. Number seven, the false doctrine of baptismal regeneration. This false doctrine teaches that the waters of baptism wash away sins and that baptism is an integral part of the salvation process. Of course, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Baptism is important. It's an important step of obedience for the new Christian but it has nothing to do with salvation. Baptism does not wash away sin, but it gives us a clean conscience as followers of Christ. 1 Peter 3.21, To the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Christ. The Bible literally say, says baptism saves us from a, a dirty conscience. It, it saves us not from the putting away the filth of the flesh, but uh, the answer of God, a good conscience toward God. All right, number eight, the false doctrine of preterism. This false doctrine teaches that all prophecies in the Bible were, for, were fulfilled in the first century. And so some of these are kind of like out there. So they believe that with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, every Bible prophecy 
was fulfilled in the first century. And then you'd ask the simple question, what about the book of Revelation? <laughs> you know, uh, what about the rapture of the church? What about Christ's second coming, the judgment of Satan, the millennial kingdom? These are a few prophecies yet to occur. And of course, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 speak to those things. Number nine, the false doctrine of speaking in tongues. <clears throat> This false doctrine proposes that every believer should speak in unknown tongues as a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, some groups go so far as to say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. There was a church like that uh, where I grew up. Uh, it was kind of a, an out there church in a lot of ways. They also handled snakes and different things as a sign of their spiritual maturity. But they really believed that if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't born again. Uh, and, of course, they misdefine tongues and, and everything else. There's a lot of problems with that. Uh, and we understand that it's not God's intention for people to be confused by this doctrine. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Ye know how that ye were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were led. And that, that whole chapter has to do with speaking in tongues. They were ignorant of it. They were led astray in it. And uh, verse 31 sums it up of 1 Corinthians 12. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. <clears throat> and goes on to talk about Christian love. And so the emphasis in the scripture is not on speaking some unknown tongue. And you can even go online and find videos of them teaching you how to speak in tongues. And a baby just say whatever syllables come to your mind. Say it faster. Just let it go. And a lot of these things, too, they get into, you can see people getting slain in the Spirit. They'd call it slain in the Spirit where they'd just be in a church service and all of a sudden people just fall over out of their chair. Uh, you'd talk about dancing in the Spirit. They'd just get up and start dancing all wild. That's the Spirit moving them. And there is no church service like that in the New Testament ever at all uh this this idea of getting electrocuted in the spirit and so they're just sitting there and the spirit starts moving and, you know and then the next person next to you and all down and and it's just such a such a perversion of the beautiful truth of the holy spirit you don't find any of that in scripture but often the people that believe that believe that a word of knowledge can add to Scripture. So sometimes you find false doctrine upon false doctrine that leads to these things. All right, number 10, the doctrine of the health and wealth gospel, sometimes called the prosperity gospel. This false doctrine teaches that it is God's will for every Christian to be healthy and wealthy. Of course, the Apostle Paul might have something to say about that. And all the people martyred and burned and beheaded, and all of that. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40, talk about the heroes of the faith who sometimes endured terrible things. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Second uh, Corinthians, I believe, 4, uh, details the Apostle Paul's struggles with all of these things. The entire New Testament church, for at least the church in Jerusalem, for the first nine or ten chapters of the book of Acts, were broke and hunted and persecuted. 
And so this, this just doesn't hold up to, to not only Scripture, but sadly, the only people that this doctrine makes wealthy are those who preach it. Uh, and, you know, you give and give your seed money. And I heard about one as I was doing my study, and I don't have a list of preachers that believe that, but most of your preachers on TV believe some form of either word of faith, false doctrine, or prosperity gospel, or both. But one preacher... Uh, who was a TV preacher, lived in a 35,000-square-foot parsonage. He's just, that's what God wants. It's God's will for him. He to be healthy and wealthy. And he wants it for you, too, if you'll give uh, your love gift. And so I believe it was Joel Olstein some years ago, he was doing an interview, and they asked how much came in a and he's like, well, he mentioned the $80 million. And the person doing the interview is like, excuse me, how much? And it's almost like you see on his face, he's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. This ministry was bringing in like $80 million a year. And this is 15, 20 years ago. Like, well, it's a lot of upkeep and a lot of, it's expensive to have a television show. And uh, a lot of your preachers on TV believe this kind of stuff. And they're driving around in Bentleys and Rolls Royces and different things. That's, that's not from the Lord. All right, number 11, the doctrine of word of faith. Uh, Sometimes they call it name it and claim it. This doctrine holds that Christians can claim or decree or speak something into existence. Of course, that's what God did. And they'll say things like, you're made in the image of God and God spoke the worlds into existence and you can just speak things into existence. I will be wealthy. I will do this. And if you just speak it and you believe it enough, then it'll come true. And the name it and claim it crowd. And it comes from a, a misreading of verses like Romans 4.17. Uh, and they, they assume this God-like power. But of course, we know that faith is powerful and moves the hand of God. But humans do not have the power to manipulate God or make Him do something that's against His will. The most powerful prayers you pray are prayers of faith within the will of God. Uh, You cannot bend God's arm behind His back to, to make Him do what you want just because you name it and claim it. Number 12, the doctrine of hyper grace. This false doctrine proposes the idea that because a Christian is saved by grace, that God does not hold us to the law of right and wrong. Practically, this makes grace a license to do whatever you want. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, they say, as they look like the world and sound like the world and talk like the world and do what the world does. Uh, Almost, The Bible talks about that in Jude chapter 4 that some were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness speaks of basically giving yourself a license to do what you want to do. Titus chapter 2 tells us the opposite, that it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And so again, false doctrine. Number 13, the doctrine of universalism. This false doctrine says that God is too good to send anyone to hell So he will make sure everyone makes it to heaven. So this differs a little bit from number one, the many ways to heaven false doctrine. That way says that as long as you're sincere in your beliefs that God will get you there. If you're insincere, you're still in trouble. But if you're sincere, then God will just, there's a lot of different ways to get to heaven. Universalism says everybody's going to heaven. 
you don't have to try. You don't have to want to. God's just going to make sure you get there. Why? Because that's just how good God is. And then you ask him, well, what about Hitler? Is he going to heaven? And you see him go, well, probably not Hitler. Well, that kind of makes the whole thing fall apart, doesn't it? <laughs> if, if Hitler's gonna, not going to make it, that doesn't mean everybody. And, uh, you know, so these things, some of these things fall apart very quickly. In our town, we have a universalist Unitarian church. A universalist church believes universalism that, well, everybody's just going to go to heaven. Uh, and so you see the problems with that. All right, number 14, the doctrine of Gnosticism. This false teaching claims that there's a secret knowledge only available to those who join certain groups. Cults use this concept as a dangling carrot to get people to fall deeper and deeper into the cult. You think about Scientology. There's been a lot coming out the last five or six years about Scientology and, and that false cult. Uh, all the, the LDS, the Latter-day Saints, Mormonism, they're not Christians. Nowadays they say, well, Mormons are Christians. They're not Christians, folks. They don't, when they say they believe in Jesus, they don't mean it like you mean it. But the deeper you get into it, you learn that heaven's on some planet called such and such, and you, there's these special underwear you can wear that, that ward off evil spirits. And I mean, it's just the deeper you get, you learn about all these secret truths that nobody else knows. Uh, Wicca, uh, magic, uh, wizardry, sorcery, they have all that if you join our group. The old-fashioned masons... Uh, you know, the deeper you get, the more you learn. And we've been told, and books were written by, by after you get over the 31st degree of masonry, that you find out it really is a satanic organization. Uh, and so it's all, all kinds of things that have to do with this idea of Gnosticism. The Roman Catholics use it as the priesthood. Well, the priest knows that. You don't need to know that. The priest knows that. Well, I want to know how to go to heaven. Well, you don't need, the, the priest knows. And so this idea of Gnosticism, by the way, the book of Colossians talks about that, angels and, and other things. All right, number 15, moving quickly, the doctrine of Arianism. This doctrine purports that Jesus Christ was a created being and not co-equal or co-eternal with the Father. Of course, there's all kinds of different versions of this. Jesus is not God. Jesus is not, uh, he was created. And some cults believe that, and even some Christian uh, denominations. Colossians 1, 15 through 19 tell us who Jesus is. And of course, we know that Jesus is the co-equal, co-eternal Son of God. All right, number 16, the doctrine of the papacy. This false doctrine contends that the bishop of the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope is the vicar of Christ and Christ's unique and all-powerful representative on earth. A lot of people believe this. A lot of people I know that are sincere Catholics, they believe that the Pope is in the stead of Christ. And uh, if the Pope says it, man, that, that's just what it is. As a matter of fact, Roman Catholic doctrine teaches that the Pope can speak ex cathedra and actually overwrite Scripture uh, and, or add to the Scripture. Uh, and so this idea of the, the papacy, the whole bishop. Uh, rule concept in the Roman Catholic Church is not found in the Scripture. The Bible word for bishop is just another word for the office of a pastor, speaking of his doctrine of overseership. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 15, 16, 1 Timothy 2, 5 speaks to that. Number 17, the doctrine of higher criticism. This is looks at the Bible in a very uh, secular way. They, they, they use 
academia or scholarship or the human mind to analyze the Bible. They, they see the Bible as ancient texts from a secular perspective. And they decide what should be in there and what shouldn't. Based upon their human reasoning. This is why so many false Bibles and stuff, the, the different Bible versions, stem out of higher criticism. And they'll just take verses out. They'll take entire chunks of, of Bible out because, well, we don't think it should be here based on this and this and this. Or uh, higher criticism is a huge problem. Uh, number 18, the doctrine of modernism. Uh, this denounces belief in miracles and creation. They promote a social gospel and theistic evolution. Uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick promoted this idea. Uh, with the millions in backing from John D. Rockefeller, really interesting history there. Their partnership spread modernism's corruption through Protestant churches. There really was a shift. A lot of Protestant churches, at least before this time, had some version of the gospel or preached the gospel. You could at least get saved in them. Uh, but when modernism came in, it basically destroyed people's faith in the scripture. Uh, and that's why we fight against modernism. By the way, you hear the word postmodern. Postmodernism is a child of modernism. And so modernism promoted mankind as the ultimate authority to discern what is true instead of surrendering to God's word. Postmodernism suggests that objective truth can't be known. So modernism said, we'll decide what's true, not God's word. And postmodernism, its child says, we don't even know what's true. And we probably can't know what's true. Uh, and terrible. All right, number 19, the doctrine of the social gospel. We just mentioned that. This false doctrine replaces the supernatural salvation of Christ's gospel with the social action, humanitarianism. We see this in our community. There are a lot of churches in our community that no longer have the gospel, but they're involved in the community. So their, their function is to be good to people, to help people, but they've totally lost the supernatural gospel. And uh, the false doctrine of the social gospel. And then number 20, the false doctrine of ecumenism. This is the false doctrine that perverts the biblical idea of Christian unity, promoting unity above God's truth. So the idea is a good one at its root. Churches should work together. Right? That sounds like a good idea. Churches should work together. But ecumenicalism says unity is more important than what you believe or what you do. And so you have churches that don't believe the truth or that preach false doctrine working with churches that do believe the truth and this, these churches that believe the truth are pushed to, to be involved with these churches that don't believe the truth. Now what happens if you take one bad apple and put it in a bunch of apples? They all go bad. And with ecumenicalism, what happens is when a good church puts unity above the truth, then what happens to the truth in that church? It dies. Yeah, it dies. It's eventually gone. But they've got a bunch of churches working together. That's why our, our church doesn't work with like the World Council of Churches and all these other things. Sounds like a great idea, but boy, you start looking about who's involved and what's going on in those organizations, and there's just an awful lot of false doctrine that we can't be a part of. There's this thing called ecclesiastical separation. 
where we can't be involved with churches that aren't preaching the truth. Amen? Uh, but we can be involved, of course, with churches of like faith. So I know I just opened the fire hose on you tonight and just sprayed you down. I, I understand that. If you walk away here with a few of these things, I'll be happy. Uh, but my hope is, and I believe how the Holy Spirit works is, you don't need to remember it all. But if you were making an effort to pay attention, the Holy Spirit will bring something up. Next time you see it, next time you read it, next time you hear it, you'll be like, oh, that's what Pastor was talking about. That's that, that's that modernism or that's that modalism or, or whatever the false doctrine may be. And, of course, this isn't all of them, but just some of the most prevalent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth, the scripture that gives us the truth. Thank you for helping us understand what false doctrines are prevalent uh, during this day. And I pray that our church would stay away from these things, that we would see the truth and uh, 